In your name we pray. Amen. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage Mike Watson. Where's that? That's funny. Wow. <laughs> uh, good morning, everyone. Thanks for the uh, introduction. That's my walkout song, I guess, right? That's, that's pretty cool. Funny um, side note to that, when, when, when cell phones first started having like different ringtones that you could add to them, that was one of my ringtones on my cell phone. So like if I got a phone call, my wife's shaking her head, she remembers it would play that song. A little Ozzy Osbourne. That's really cool. Thank you. I feel like a like wrestler or something, or <laughs> someone at the Super Bowl walking out. That's a Are great introduction. Please keep your shirt off. <laughs> no problem, sir. No problem, sir. So good morning. Um, I'm really excited to be here and have the opportunity to share what I think God put on my heart. Um, we are in the second message in our series called Storytime, um, where we try to take one of the parables told by Jesus, and there's a lot of them, um, I think over 30, 40 parables that he told during his ministry. And we try to put a modern spin on it to try to um, bring ourselves to a better understanding of it. Now, last week, John put a modern spin on the parable of the three servants found in Matthew 25. And that taught us about opportunities that God gives us to serve others. Um, so if you missed that, I encourage you to go back, watch that. Um, what's been really cool for me as I prepare this message is... Um, started to see some similarities and connections to the message that John shared last week. And that's all God. Like, we did not sit down and plan this together. He knew what I was going to talk about, but I didn't know what he was going to talk about. So God has something for, for us today. So just thankful for that opportunity. So today we're going to talk about hidden treasures. And there's a parable in Matthew 13 um, called the parable of the hidden treasure. And it's always stumped me. Um, and it's one of those perils that I feel like I've misinterpreted. And as I was preparing for this, God really challenged kind of my thinking on it. And I want to share that with you. Now, one of the hardest things about this parable is that in Matthew 13, there are like five to seven other parables like that you're learning about. That, so this is kind of like snuck in there. It's one sentence. Um, I should have picked one that was a little bit longer. Uh, that's my reflection on preparing for this. But it's really easy to confuse because you're trying to take in so many other things in, in Matthew 13. Here's, here's a list of some of those parables. There's the parable of the sower, so that's the seed that falls on different types of ground. Um, there's the parable of the weeds, where someone, the enemy, puts weeds in this farmer's crop of wheat. Um, there's the parable of the mustard seed, where you have the smallest seed actually produces the largest tree in the garden. You have the parable of the yeast, um, where just a small amount of yeast makes that bread expand um, and get bigger. Then you have the parable of the hidden treasure, which is often paired with the parable of the pearl. And then you have the parable of the net, which is about separating the good fish from the bad fish. So there's a lot of stuff to take in in Matthew 13. Um, so it's really easy to kind of like skim over the parable of the hidden treasure. Um, and what's cool about some of these parables that made me feel comfortable um, getting up here and talking to you about it is that in between some of them, the disciples actually say to Jesus, like, what are you talking about? Like, what does this mean? And he actually breaks some of them down. The one he doesn't explain is the parable of the hidden treasure. Uh, so let's look at that together before we dive into it a little bit more. So in Matthew 13, 44, 
the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man finds it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Like, quick show of hands. How many of you think you know exactly what this parable means? Yeah, when I read it, I'm like, who does that? Like, why did he hide the treasure? Why don't you just pick the treasure up and take it with you? Um, it's very confusing for me. And then I get to that part about like selling everything that you have just to get access to this. So great, now you have no home, no car, um, not a car in that time, but you have nothing, but you have this field with this treasure. Well, how are you still gonna have money to do the things you need to do? You're gonna have to do something with that treasure. So I start to overthink this, um, get confused, and I find it unrelatable in the way that it's written that way. So what I usually do when I discover kind of scripture that I'm struggling with is I want, to, I want some context of the person who heard this for the first time. You know, this is 2,000 years ago. When Jesus told this, it must have hit differently with the people hearing it for the first time. So here's what I found. Um, was not uncommon in this era for people to hide money or valuable belongings in the ground. Banks as we know them today didn't exist. Now there were banks in kind of large cities, and, but it was mainly for people who had a lot of money, um, not for the average person. Some of the poverty and political turmoil that's happening during that time um, made everybody vulnerable to either theft or being taken by those in power. So it would have been very common then, um, compared to now, to stash your valuables in the ground. Matter of fact, connection from last week, John told us in Matthew 25 that the man who received one bag, what did he do with it? He went and buried it and hid it in the ground. So we actually have evidence in the Bible of kind of context of that story. Um, now, according to some local laws and customs of the time, it suggested that as long as the treasure remained buried, it was considered part of the field. So if it was removed, if that man who had found it removed it from that property, it would actually be considered theft, all right? However, if the field's owner sold the land, he would be selling anything that's buried in that land to that new owner. So that new owner would then legally be free to dig up and take that treasure. So that kind of gives you some context of the story. Now here's the modern spin, and I'm gonna, it's a, it's a little bit of a stretch at first, but do me a favor, close your eyes for a minute, and think of 1994. Those of you that were alive, think of 1994. And just think about like how old you were, think about where you might have been living at the time, think about what season of life you might have been in, whether it be school, career, Okay, go ahead and open your eyes. Trinity, I saw, you, I saw you put your hands up when I said think about 1994, and I think you're frustrated because you weren't born in 1994. Let me give you some context. No smartphones, no iPads, no flat screen TVs, and imagine this, no Google and no Netflix, right? Like to get on the internet at the time, you had to use a floppy disk. Trinity, you know what a floppy disk is? You know, a floppy, like there's a whole generation that doesn't know what a floppy disk is. Remember, you had to put it into your computer, you had to download the software, it would connect to your modem, it would tie up your phone line for as long as you're on the internet. Um, to watch a movie, you actually had to get in your car, either drive to the movie, but if you wanted to watch it at your home, what'd you do? You went to 
Blockbuster. You actually had to go rent a cassette that you put into another device called a VCR to watch that movie. Um, no emails, of course, but we had fax machines. They were used a lot more often. Now, for me, in 1994, I was 16 years old. I probably would, I would have been a junior in high school, um, just learning to drive. Gas at the time cost around one dollar per gallon. Um, I remember the signs. It was 89 for the the cheap stuff, a dollar nine for the expensive stuff. Um, some other things in 1994. Friends first premiered in 1994. Forrest Gump was the most popular movie at the time, and the Cowboys won the Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah, 1994. Now, um, try to make a connection to where I'm going. One of my daughters recently needed a new pair of shoelaces. Uh, in 1994, what would you have done if you needed to go purchase a new pair of shoelaces? Yeah, you'd, like you'd have to you'd have to drive somewhere like the mall, go to a shoe store to actually find the shoelaces, hope they have the color, the length, the style that you're looking for. Otherwise, they'd have to order it. You'd have to come back later. If you needed to buy shoelaces today, what are you going to do? Amazon, right? Amazon. How many of you have used Amazon ever? Keep your hand up if you used it in the last month. Keep your hand up if you used it in the last week. Keep your hand up if you used it in the last 24 hours. Yeah, I literally ordered something at like 10 o'clock last night from Amazon. All right. Um, it's changed the way we shop, right? It's changed the way we do things. Well, here's the connection. So in the spring of 1994, Jeff Bezos, everybody know who Jeff Bezos is? Guy who created Amazon. He reads that the internet usage is growing at a rate of 2,300% a year. Now, why is it growing that fast? It literally was just invented. <laughs> like, no one's using it. So there's a drastic increase. Well, he gets this great idea that he's going to establish an online bookstore. And the intent was always to um, branch out and sell other products as well. And last week, John talked about how much you could have made if you invested in Amazon stock, right? Well, I'm going to tell you how much it's worth today. $1.76 trillion. That's 10 zeros behind that. Like, so it has this great value, right? You might even call it a treasure. Um, so here it is. He discovers this idea. All right. And when he discovers it, it probably doesn't have a lot of value to anybody else but him, right? He's probably telling some people, like, hey, I'm going to create this thing where people are no longer going to go to shopping malls. People are like, what are you talking about? Like, people are, malls are always going to be around, right? But it had value to him. And here's what he's willing to do to chase after it. Um, he quits his job in New York City. He's got a nice job, making a good income. Quits it, decides to drive across the country to Seattle. Um, to start Amazon in a rented garage. All right, so big sacrifice. How many of you are willing to quit your job this week, move your family to Seattle to chase after some idea that you have that may or might not pan out? Anybody willing to do that? I, all right, well, honor you. Like, you, you got your whole life ahead of you. Like, for me, that freaks me out. All right, the security of my job, the security of my home. That's a big risk for me. Probably not willing to take that. Um, furthermore, 
He talks his parents into donating or investing $300,000 into Amazon. But at the time, he's telling other investors that there's a 70% chance this is going to fail or go bankrupt. Like, so he, there he is, he's putting his family's financial future at risk too. Like, again, how many of you are willing to do that? Like, I don't, yeah, <laughs> Tilly's quickly putting her hand down. Um, so right, like that's a really big sacrifice. So here's the connection to this parable, and then we're going to dive into it a little bit more. He found something that had value to him, right? All right, Amazon. Um, he made sacrifices to get it. Um, and it turned out to be this extremely valuable um, potential that even changed the world, like changed the way that we interact um, and purchase things. So if I was to rewrite this parable of the hidden treasure using that example, this is what it might sound like. God's kingdom is like a great tech startup, like Amazon. When a man realizes its potential, he keeps the idea to himself, he quits his job, moves across the country, and invests all his time and resources into building up this brand that becomes so valuable that he's considered one of the richest men in the world. So what does this teach us about the kingdom of God? Well, last week, John taught us two things when we're reading parables. He's taught us to ask two questions. When you read a parable, first ask, who is God in the story? And then second, who is man or who am I in the story? So as I started to come back to this verse with those two questions in my mind, my initial thought is, is that God or Jesus are the treasure and I'm the man who finds it, right? And so if that's the meaning, then this parable becomes about the commitment that we make of followers of Christ. So in other words, the kingdom of heaven is so priceless, it's a treasure. It has this great value. And if we want to be a part of that kingdom, um, we should be willing to elevate it above everything else, all right? just for the joy of finding it, being willing to abandon just so that we can get access to it. So it's about giving up whatever must be given in order that we might joyfully enter his kingdom. Now, when I look, read this, like I read it literally, and I'm like, wait, I have to sell my home, quit my job, and become like a monk to like follow Jesus? And maybe some people are called to do that, but I don't think we are all called to make that type of sacrifice. Or it could be figurative. It could be like, hey, we're looking at this, like there's something that's interfering with my connection with God, maybe some kind of sin that I need to give up, surrender, in order to access the kingdom of heaven. So as I was reflecting on this, it just didn't sit well with me. It just didn't connect with me. And I felt God kind of challenging me and my interpretation of this parable. So I kept reading Matthew 13 a couple times. I started doing a little bit of research. And then God gave me this different perspective. And it came right at the time that I needed to hear it. And I think there's someone in this room today or someone that you're going to interact with this week that also needs to hear this different interpretation. So what if I'm looking at it backwards? You know, what if we're misinterpreting who the man is in the story and who God is in the story? What if I told you that you and I are the treasure and God is the man who finds us? 
like, like when I read this, I was like, and when that came to me, I was like, uh, how come I never saw that before? <laughs> um, and I couldn't unsee it. Um, it's like, um, you know, when you're shopping on Amazon, like if you're looking at shoes and then you're like, you know what, I'm not going to purchase it now. You close out the app or go away from it. The next time you log into Amazon, it reminds you that you were looking at shoes recently. Um, like God wouldn't let me unsee this interpretation. Um, so it also taught me a valuable lesson about reading scripture and that we should always be willing to ask God to help us interpret it and then trust him that he's going to give us the best interpretation. So let's inspect this parable um, from a different viewpoint. And again, if we're looking at it this way, it's now about God's commitment to us, not our commitment to him. So one more time, the kingdom of heaven is like a hidden, or like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had to purchase that field. So if this parable, if the man represents God, the treasure represents the children of the kingdom, you and me, and the field represents earth. Well, so again, I want to always put this into context. So it's like, well, if this is what it means, then there should be other references in the Bible that kind of like confirm this meaning. So what I do is I usually take out my Bible app and I start searching like, all right, where is a field referenced in the Bible? Where is treasure referenced in the Bible? Where is purchasing things referenced in the Bible? And I start trying to find other things to confirm that interpretation. All right, so let's do that. What is this meaning? So first, let's start with the field. Um, there's a couple other parables, even in Matthew 13, with this imagery of a field and a man doing something in it. First, in Matthew 13, 24, Jesus tells them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. All right. So again, in that parable, it goes on to talk about enemies who also sowed weeds, or weeds in that field. But notice, there's a man sowing something in a field. All right, let's jump to Matthew 13, 31. He tells them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. So in both of those cases, you have a man who's doing something with his field, right? Um, and of course, you have here the kingdom of heaven, and the treasure is hidden in a field. Now, what I want you to look at all these occurrences is that the parables, um, even with the beginning one in Matthew 13, the sower and the seed, there's a main character who's doing something in the parables, all right? And most of the time, it's really clear who that character is, except when we get to the hidden treasure. Um, so the next one I want to share with you is an example of the disciples saying, like, I don't know what you're talking about, Jesus. Like, we need some explanation. Tell us what this means. And so they ask him what the parable of the weeds means. And so here we hear from Jesus. Then he left the crowd. He went into the house. His disciples come to him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. And we get some clues here. Jesus answered, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. And the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one. So based on Jesus' own explanation to the disciples, we can see that the field is the world. All right. So think back to parable of the hidden treasure. Um, and we can begin to interpret some of the other parables based on this meaning. All right, so now let's look at treasure. 
So first, before we start looking in the Bible for treasure, we have to think of like our modern context of treasure and what that means to us. Um, So think about the meaning of treasure from a normal viewpoint. Um, Usually it's something that represents value, right? It can be money, but it doesn't have to be. Like the treasure could be Amazon. Um, The treasure could be the time that you've saved because you're not having to travel back and forth to a mall to buy something. What one person's treasure is might not be the same as someone else's. So at the beginning, when Jeff Bezos is, you know, kind of touting this idea, like some people probably thought that that was not valuable at all, but he saw some value into it. Um, If a treasure is um, found, its value can be seen to be a bit beneficial, but if it's lost, it still has value, but it's not very useful to you, right? And then sometimes treasures are protected. uh, They're hidden to keep them safe. So keeping that in mind, let's look at some scriptures in relation to treasure from God's perspective. And we're going to look at Matthew again, Matthew 6, 21, where it says, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Now, in this verse, God's actually talking about storing treasures on earth and storing treasures in heaven. But this also applies to God's heart towards us that we are his treasure, where his heart is. He loves us so much that that's what he considers us. Now, as I was doing a little bit more research, um, I came across uh, something in the Old Testament, and I really like when I can find things in the Old Testament that line up with the New Testament, because it kind of reaffirms to me, like this was God's original plan from the very beginning. And he's telling the people of Israel in Deuteronomy 7, 6, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God, The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. So there we have God telling us, you are my treasure. I value you that much. Then let's jump back to the New Testament and Luke 15, 4 through 6. We read, what man of you having a hundred sheep if he loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. So think about that. One sheep goes astray, and you're going to risk the other 99 to go find that one. That tells you how valuable that one sheep is to that shepherd. God views us the same way. He sees value in that one. He's willing to take the risk to go find us. So as you see from these scriptures above, um, we are the focal point of God's heart. All right? And he reveals that he loves us. Now, here's where I think... Someone needs to hear this, because I needed to hear it a couple weeks ago. There are people in this world who might not value you, all right? They might make you feel worthless. They might call you names. They might tear you down. But part of the good news in the Bible is that no matter what other people think of you, or even what you think of yourself, And this is the part that hits home to me. You're still a treasure. Like, you are the Amazon. 
Like you have the 10 zeros behind your name. You have the potential to change the world. The question is, do you believe that? So let's jump to the man who sold all to buy the field. So in every other parable in Matthew 13, God is the main character. All right, parable of the sower, he's the one throwing the seed. Parable of the weeds, he's the sower again planting the wheat. Parable of the mustard seed, he's planting it into the field. Parable of the yeast, he's actually the woman putting the yeast into the bread, kneading it. Parable of the hidden treasure, we're kind of rediscovering who he might be in that parable. We're going to talk about the parable and the pearl at the very end here, but then there's also the parable of the net, where he's taking the net and separating the good from the bad. So here's the thing about purchasing stuff, right? Like, you're only willing to pay the price for something if you consider that price tag worth it, if you consider that purchase to be of value to you. Like, its net worth was low, then, like, you're not going to buy it. Jesus knew the price to get us back, all right? And he believed it was well worth it. So in God's eyes, you're so valuable, you're considered this priceless item to him. And so let's look at a couple more scriptures which help us to reveal the part about the parable. Sorry. Part about the parable where um, God is purchasing the field to get the hidden treasure back. So in 1 Corinthians 6.20, we read, you were bought at a price, right? Confirming that other interpretation. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And then probably one of the most used verses in the Bible, for God so loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son. God gave his son so that whoever believes in him may not be lost, but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to judge the world guilty, but to save the world through him. So God, our heavenly father, for the joy of having us, his people, his church, for the joy of making his own, gives up everything that which is most precious to him, his one and only son, in order that he can buy us back redeem us, make us his own. So we are the treasure hidden in the field that God our Father goes to whatever lengths to bring us back. He did this through Jesus, but he does this every day throughout the world to bring people back to him. Now, I'm not saying that that first interpretation is completely wrong. Like, there's a lot of people who have been studying scripture much longer than me who could find ways to validate that. But when I read this, I feel like the parable of the hidden treasure isn't about what we do to get access to the kingdom. It's about what God has already done for us. And maybe that's the way that we're called to interpret it. So let's decipher the parable of the hidden treasure. If we were to kind of break it down, it would read, the kingdom of heaven is like the lost children of God, hidden in the world, and when God found them, he hid them again. 
And in his joy, Jesus went and laid down his life and bought the world. So here's where I've kind of struggled. This, you know, we call this Real Life Vineyard Church. Um, what I sometimes fall into the trap of, and I was doing this about four weeks ago when God kind of put this on my heart, is I sometimes place my value on things in this world. Um, where I really fall into the trap of doing that sometimes is at work. Like, I place my value into what I'm doing at my job. Um, and if I perceive that it's not going the way that it should, I start to devalue myself. Um, and I know that I'm replaceable at work. Like, if Mike Watson's not there tomorrow, the train keeps moving. <laughs> like, they're not going to stop because I'm not there. So I was struggling with this about four weeks ago, and that's when God kind of put this message on my, on my heart and kind of made me like see that, that verse in a different light. Um, because I think there's too many of us who do that. We put our value based on other things in the world, and we live in this world where they say, if you do this, this, and this, you're gonna achieve this, this, and this. Um, and what God reminded me of is, is someone said this to me once, is that, there's nothing I did or will do that's going to make God love me more. Like, it's not about what I have to do to gain access to it. It's about what he's already done to save each and every one of us. So before we end, I'm going to give you a little pop quiz at the end of the lesson here. So the hidden treasure is also paired with another parable, and that is the parable of the pearl. So I want you to read this and think about who am I in this parable and who is God? So again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for the pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away, sold everything he had, and bought it. Now it's funny, this literally comes right after the hidden treasure, and he's saying again. So it's like any of you have kids and you really want to prove a point and you feel like you have to repeat yourself multiple times to make sure they get the point, like cleaning up their room before they leave for school each day. Like God's doing the same thing there. He knew we were going to struggle with this verse so much that he's like, you know what, I better tell them right again the same exact thing I was just saying. So who's God in this parable? Who are we? We're pearls. Like, isn't that amazing? Like, we are treasure and pearls. But do we see ourselves that way? Because here's where I struggle. I will walk out of this church tomorrow. Like, we were singing songs about how much God loves us as we started the church. We do that every single week. I'll walk out tomorrow and forget that and start placing my value in something else that like pops on my doorstep on Monday morning. Um, my wife and I were at a restaurant last night and um, there was a mirror in the back of the restaurant and on the mirror it said, you are beautiful. And I'm like, I saw it and I was like, I feel like God's telling me I'm a treasure. Like I need to look in the mirror every morning and say like, you're a treasure, 
or I need a post-it note that says, you are a treasure. You're the pearl of great worth. And I gotta remember that. Like, we've gotta remember that when life starts to throw punches at us. So in closing, um, I'm gonna ask us to all stand for a minute together. And I wanna say a quick prayer, and then I want you to repeat something with me. So right now we're just, find a place of prayer, eyes closed, head down, whatever your position is, arms open, arms up. Um, Father God, just thank you. Thank you for viewing me the way that you do. Thank you for seeing me as a treasure, as a pearl. I pray that you will help me to also see myself the way that you see me. Help each and every one of us to see ourselves every morning the way that you see us, priceless, invaluable, ability to change the world. Help us to find someone this week who also needs to hear this message that we can share, that we can remind them of the treasure that they are. And God, don't let us forget that you gave the ultimate sacrifice for us to come back to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, here's what I want you to do before we start wrapping up. Out loud, say it. So it's got to be louder than your response to John this morning when he asked everybody how they were. I want everybody to literally say it out loud. I'm a treasure. All right. Now I want you to look to the person next to you. Tell them, you're a treasure. Let's, Sam needs someone. Yeah, you're a treasure. Now here's, here's the hardest part about this. Tomorrow, someone's going to cut you off in traffic. Treasure. <laughs> Your neighbor, who just, you, you just don't get along with. They're the person who, like, they're the last ones to, like, um, shovel the snow off their sidewalk. Like, after everybody's already walked through it, it gets all icy, and then they can't even do it. They're a pearl. The person who disagrees with you at work. Treasure person who votes differently than you, pearl of great value. Like that's the hard part. It's easy to say it, but like to live it out, to walk it out. But listen, like we get the opportunity to share that with other people. So I'm serious, like go back to Matthew 13, read through those parables. If you question my interpretation, ask God, ask God what, hey, what does this mean to me? What does this look like in my life? And go out this week and remind someone of how valuable they are. I love you guys. Thank you for the opportunity. Have a great week.